0: And suddenly I caught myself in the bathroom mirror and I like floated, I had one of those experiences and I floated above the situation and I was like, you lunatic. You chose to bring this baby into the world and now you're like rushing him along and you're angry at him.
1: Welcome to Natural Tendencies. I'm your host, Rick Braden. Join us as we hear the real issues affecting real people that truly and deeply impact their work performance. Anxiety, depression, conflict, marital problems, trauma, grief, and loss. Right here, right now. Right on! So here we are, Meredith. I'm with Meredith Kochi. Hi. And Meredith is one of those special people who I would probably, if I had to describe you with one word, that word would be passionate. And it would be, the second word might be creative. And I also think that very passionate and creative people, often have tougher lives. Yes. Do you believe that to be true?
0: I believe that to be very true.
1: Yeah. So Meredith completed our assessment and on that assessment we measured 21 behavioral scales. So we measure things like work ethic, creativity, endurance, which is the need to follow through on tasks and many other dimensions that can make up somebody's personality. And when I first saw and experienced Meredith and saw her date, it was all in the same day. And that was probably now about three or four months ago. And many of the scales were either in the upper 90th percentile or they were in the zero to 20th percentile. And when I see data like that, and we've now used our assessment as of August 2018, approximately 550,000 times, it speaks to real passion. And I started this conversation by saying that when somebody's highly creative and somebody's highly passionate, in some ways their life is harder and you said that's true. What did you mean by that?
0: You know, when you're creative, when you're passionate, which I like those two words, there's a lot living inside of you all the time, and the very act of being creative or artistic requires that you sponge that out And so pretty much I'm just always walking around as like a very full sponge. Hmm. And I sometimes think this body is not big enough to hold all the stuff inside of it. And what
1: does that feel like?
0: I think for a while, going back a couple years, going back, you know, It's felt um, difficult to manage. It's felt very heavy. It's felt a bit frantic sometimes. It's felt
1: overwhelming. Um, So let me stop you right there. Sure. What are you aware of feeling right now?
0: Right now, I feel more of a balance. Right now, I-
1: Right this second.
0: Right this second, I- have a lot going on in my head and in my heart, and I'm managing all those things right now. Are you
1: aware of anxiety? Sure. Are you aware of the shallowness of breath?
0: Mm, yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah. So let's extend the breath just a little bit. Just take it a little deeper. and Connect it to your body, and then let it out a little more slowly. Just do that like three times, Meredith. So it seems to me that you're used to functioning at a very high level when the sponge is full. And when the sponge is full, there's probably a lot of pent-up energy, there's that anxiety, there may be some insecurity. And I think that's true of every single person. And it's often very true with high creativity and high passion. It's interesting on our assessment, Meredith, we have a range from zero to 100. Somebody who scores a zero on creativity, just the tried and the true, systems, standard operating procedures. And there's many roles in the workforce that call for exactly that. And people who are wired that way do well in those jobs like manufacturing and other things where you do the same task in a repeated way. But it's very interesting because one of the words that you have to check to score high on creativity is dissatisfied. So recently I had somebody share with me, I really want to be more creative. And I asked them, do you?
0: Are you sure? Are you
1: sure? That's a great question, isn't it? Are you sure?
0: Sure, you want to access all that.
1: So talk to me about that dissatisfaction.
0: You know, it's a it's sort of a skeptical, cynical approach to systems. You know, I'm a trained journalist, so my curiosity is fairly high, and my skepticism is fairly high. And when I look at a person, when I look at a process, when I look at a product, my creative energy starts bubbling up and I suddenly see 172 different things at once that maybe could be different. Maybe this can be better. Maybe this can be more impactful. Maybe this can function in another way. Maybe we need to add some fun to this. Maybe, you know, so whenever something comes across you know, my being, I have a lot going on about it, always. And it's sometimes hard to, it's sometimes just hard to tell people like, I'm not dissatisfied, I'm just seeing a lot of other things that I think maybe we could try, you know?
1: so you seem right now to be experiencing different kinds of emotions. What's what's rising now?
0: Right now, I'm at a at a place for myself where I'm ready to let go of some of some of the heaviness.
1: Right this second.
0: Yeah, right this second.
1: I, what heaviness do you want to get rid of? Give me a little more understanding of what that is that you're you know, experiencing right now. Wonderful thunderstorm to accentuate <laughs> what we're talking about here. At Gator I mean, Lake a bolt exterior. of
0: lightning just struck down. That's right. So um,
1: this, this certainly feels like the right time. Just
0: um, yeah. So I would like to just—I've been in the process of unloading recently. What other people think, what other people's judgments, my own self-criticism, my own sort of negative self-talk that can sometimes rear its head. Um, And I'm just kind of ready to let go of some of the consistent, repetitive stories that I tell myself a lot.
1: So let's talk about that because this strategy of maybe being critical, maybe going into either judgment towards others or judgment towards yourself, in some ways that probably served you very well to get you to where you are now. And you're very successful in many ways. You have successful relationships. You're in a professional capacity teaching master's programs at the university level in emerging technologies and just new advances in technology. So part of that strategy has gotten you where you are. And it's in some ways a self-protective strategy, a way of protecting yourself. Does that make sense to you?
0: It totally makes sense to me.
1: So how does it protect you?
0: You know, I think it's one of those things where you construct control. You know, I had a, a very fun childhood and when I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced and I took on a different role. I kind of had a the, the death of the inner child at 10 and the birth of an adult and so, That was really, that was, I could could not have predicted that that was gonna happen. And it was such a shift for me. That's a very
1: tender age.
0: It's a very tender age, you know? And so from that point on, it just served me better to construct control. To- And is
1: that when you decided you needed to be tough?
0: And maybe, maybe tough is a word I haven't thought of yet, but. Yes, it's, it's when I decided that I would take control and that I would, um, I would not have another shoe drop. I would be storm prepped.
1: Wow, that's a tremendous amount of responsibility for a child that old. And at that age, something inside you would already know that you're not equipped to do that. And that would certainly be a root cause of anxiety because yes. all of a sudden you're having to take on this sort of adult capacity the safety and security that you believe to be true shattered and you believed you had to take control
0: yeah because so, if you have that control then you're prepared then you can you can act swiftly, you can manage a situation, you can avoid pain, you know, you can, you can carve out a lot of different paths that you're in control of.
1: Yeah, I think so. And so when we look at childhood trauma and I'm gonna go ahead and call this early development trauma, There is certainly the pain side of it, the strategies that a a young mind develops that may not be the healthiest. But on the flip side, those same types of people, and I think you illustrate this very well, become extremely resilient and develop resources and sensitivities that other people don't have. And one of the most remarkable things that I've discovered, having worked with hundreds of adults who suffered from childhood trauma, is that they become acutely sensitive to other people's moods and changes in the environmental energy and become incredibly sensitive to the most subtle changes. And because of that, when they channel that properly, they can be deeply empathic. And that is truly a gift that I've seen hundreds of times come out of trauma. One of the main strategies, which I think you adopted is what I'm gonna call the tough girl. And that's, I'm in control, I've got it together, don't cross me or there will be a price to pay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can I can agree with that. It was like a it was like a tough funny girl. You know, it it was a whole kind of tool belt of defense mechanisms that are rooted in that trauma. You know,
1: you use the word defense mechanisms. What were you defending against? Where was the attack?
0: People messing with my stuff. People having a direct impact on my environment you know that i didn't like the idea that i don't like the idea but i'm more comfortable with it now that things will change unpredictably they will change suddenly they will change and there will be a crack in the earth you know and it will will shake you to a point of not coming back so i'm gonna go ahead and not have that ever happen which of course is just a complete illusion you know
1: but but it's something
0: yeah it's you know a 10 year old brain yeah knows to do that makes perfect sense to me yeah and and i've seems
1: like a very reasonable strategy for a little girl to adopt totally
0: yes and that just doesn't serve you
1: as an adult though but So once you say that doesn't serve me as an adult, Mm -hmm. try that on.
0: Yeah, it doesn't serve me to try to control everything.
1: So now you're talking about letting go. Yes. And something inside you is is feeling a need to move into another way of being and another way of relating, another identity. Yeah,
0: and I would say it was about two and a half years ago that I kind of hung in this epiphany space
1: with in an epiphany space. Yeah,
0: I um, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. Yeah. I was like a hardcore journalist, and
1: I can see you chucking them down. Yeah, like, I was camel, like, no feathers, I like smoked,
0: I smoked, like cloves for a year because you know that's cool. And um, I stopped smoking when I found out I was pregnant, and then I had <laughs> that's my. That's usually helpful. They yes, say. Yes, it is. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> my generation, you I think they went ahead
1: and amped it up
0: when you're pregnant. <laughs> Um, And then after my son was born um, and he came eight weeks early so that was kind of a surprise for all of us too. But it wasn't till about, he was like 18 months old that I found him, I found us in the bathroom together and I was rushing him through his bath so that I could get out to the patio and smoke a cigarette. And suddenly I caught myself in the bathroom mirror and i like floated i had one of those experiences and i floated above the situation and i was like you lunatic you chose to bring this baby into the world and now you're like rushing him along and you're angry at him that you're not out on the patio smoking a cigarette right now and all that happened and then the next day i was like no more and I quit smoking cigarettes cold turkey. You know, and so that began. your love began for another it.
1: person transcended your addiction.
0: I just couldn't believe my need for my need for that was affect directly affecting his life, and he had no choice in the matter. He's what almost two years old. I mean, he's not. He doesn't understand why I'm frustrated. He doesn't. That's not the mom. I am, you know, so it was this, this complete seeing of you're doing things that are against your core values in you, you know, and smoking cigarettes was the hardest thing I had done in a while. It was like three days of, I will kill you. Not for the record, I wasn't going to kill anyone, but I will kill you, you know, and I need to be locked in a room and like, I'm going to eat. thousand M&Ms or something you know
1: I can so relate to a story like that
0: (laughs) but that started it once once I realized I could stop smoking I was like oh I mean I always knew I could do a lot but I didn't know I could make a better make a really great decision for myself and then and then like quit a habit that was so ingrained and once I saw that, I instead of going to the porch to smoke a cigarette, I just went for a walk, and then my walks turned to runs, and then I lost 50 pounds, and then I started eating better, and then wow. I started seeing a therapist again, and then all of a sudden.
1: All of the sudden.
0: <laughs> all of a sudden. It was not all of a sudden kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, So that's been the past two and a half years I kind of started on that path to becoming the more authentic me.
1: So, going through the trauma that you experience and adopting this sort of tough girl, fun party girl persona, nobody's going to get to me, I'm gonna control my whole world, which really served you well, like in a tough, hard-edged journalistic capacity. I could see that being just like a really good fit for that point of time in your life. And now the kind of changes you're describing, letting go of this kind of baggage, goes through this word called vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And it goes through letting go and in doing so the other shoe will drop and people will let you down and people will hurt you and you will hurt yourself
0: and that and, sucks
1: and these are realities
0: that sucks and that will happen and so in your
1: happened. mind that sucks and you think it sucks because why
0: when i first started sort of surrendering to this tough tough girl, joke maker, kind of. That whole persona really served me well because yes, I was super sensitive and I could connect with people instantaneously on my choosing. You did that with me. On my choosing, you know. Mm-hmm. I I open on my choosing. Really? But I'll open, I used to open with like, I'm very open, I'm so open, but really I'm not. Mm. But really I'm not. But I I'm gonna I wanna be and I am, but I'm not at all. You know, and
1: You're taking a big step today.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize how much more how quickly I can zip into a more controlled manner. Mm. You know, I can it speaks to
1: But something just happened, like you just felt some softness right there. Yeah. I set in your eyes. And there was like a tenderness in the soft spot that you just revealed to me. Stay with that. Speak from that place for just a second.
0: I just would prefer, if it were up to me, to hang out by myself forever.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: You know, and it just. I know that's not true. Please don't misunderstand me. I know I don't really feel that way.
1: Part of you probably But part does. of me
0: really wants to be alone all the time.
1: So that
0: so that um I don't have to um so that I don't have to face my own pain, so that I don't have to be not okay.
1: So you're facing your own pain right now?
0: A little bit of it, A yeah. A little bit of it. Yeah. It's, it has been a constant marathon my whole life of run from myself, right? Like run, run, run from, if you're feeling depressed, run, do, 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 you know? If you're feeling a little anxious, just do some more. You know, a really achievement-based, accomplishment-driven remedy for my anxiety.
1: I think it's so common and then it's rewarded. Absolutely. So what do you think you're running from?
0: Oh, my, just being uncomfortable, just being not okay. Because it's so easy to pick up your phone and distract yourself. It's easy to go to a million different distractions Mm -hmm. to make the moment okay. Right. Anyone. Probably like
1: habitually and instinctively at this point.
0: I could, I could anticipate it and plan out how exactly I was going to get out of feeling not okay. You know, and just probably in the last eight months, I have started to be okay not being okay.
1: Describe what that's like and how you do it.
0: Oh, it's awful. It really (laughs) is.
1: Yeah.
0: It's awful. Some. It's. You. You I I keep wanting to say you, you know. Well
1: it's that's a that's a simple way of distancing. So when Detachment, you say I, yeah, yeah.
0: I had a good couple months where I was not running at full overdrive speed and I let go of a lot. And it's a pretty awful feeling when that's how you've derived a lot of your value or your worth.
1: And as you're saying it, the sky is releasing.
0: It is just pouring.
1: And just as soon as you said it.
0: <laughs> I am really I, aligned with nature, so. We
1: are nature, we yes. are not separate from nature. Yes. And I believe very strongly that right now, nature is supporting our process together. In yeah. what we're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's a real confirmation, and you can see it that way if you want to.
0: It's, it's really, um, Insidious though for a smart person to have some awareness of their, themselves. It it's, was hard for me as a creative person, as a, an intellectual person, as a developed person to know, know that I'm running. No, I know I'm running. Like, and then to actually stop it though and, you know, that, I had to get through like a couple of months of weird feelings about that.
1: Mm-hmm. So at the core, I think the running is running away from this discovery that there's something that is truly wrong with me. Oh, yeah. I'm truly flawed. Yes. And it's going to be revealed and I'm going to be unlovable.
0: You know, my parents got divorced because my dad um, my dad is gay. And so doing therapy and, and reflection, you know, there was this these couple moments when I was a kid and an adolescent where I was like, you know, if my dad just went and did his thing, like I wouldn't have even been here. Like I was
1: hmm. a
0: mistake.
1: Wow.
0: You know? which I know is not true.
1: Well, there's a difference in knowing cognitively as an intellectual, as an academic. And there's a different knowing that's in a little girl's heart when these things go down. And children, by nature, are egocentric. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that they tend to think that things happen because of them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And and so that gets really internalized, this is broken because of me or I'm somehow at fault and there's something wrong with me. And I have to control it, but I can't control it, but I have to control it. So I try harder and harder and harder and harder. And then usually that will result in a burnout and a breakdown at some point.
0: Oh yeah, I have like cyclical breakdowns. You can track them. You know, you can, it's like every six or seven years I'll have just run way too hard that it catches me. And I have like a cut-through moment that's like, mmm, I'm in a car accident, break your right foot, you need to sit on the couch, you know? And I openly joke with family and friends, like it takes a broken bone to get me to rest. You know, it takes a rejection from a doctoral program at a huge research university to put me down. You know, it, it takes a lot, but it will happen eventually. And I know it, you know. And it's just every time has up. This last time was probably really hard, but I, for the first time, had actual, like, healthy things in place to support me through it. Um, instead of just running still, you know, having that breakdown and just running instead of feeling, you know, so that energy expenditure, oh, I never thought it would catch up to me and I always did.
1: It's a pretty exhausting way to live.
0: Yeah, it's exhausting. You're exhausted, you're anxious,
1: you're- Who is?
0: I am, I was exhausted, I was anxious, I was angry. I was angry. I chose anger a lot.
1: Do you still?
0: There's more of a pause now. My anger so much, my anger does serve me in beautiful ways. But it also um, really is not good for me. And I found I need a physical separation. So if I'm, I I know when I'm going to start. And I have to, like, leave the room. And that's the only way I can get that balance back. And my curriculum in life is that moment between feeling it in here and then releasing it. I'm trying to get that time to extend more. Mm -hmm. Because that time used to be feel it, already said it. And then I'd come... presently into my body like five sentences in and I would be like oh you've already said a lot of stuff what'd you say again
1: I said the unskillful thing that was coming out of my I should not
0: have talked
1: well it sounds like and I don't want to minimize the progress because just the ability to recognize when you're about to say or do the angry thing and create space by physically leaving the room is a very elegant, beautiful strategy, Meredith.
0: It only took 36,000 hours of therapy, <laughs> you know, excruciating mental pain, you know? I, I think the day that I'm like really into cooking, and it's like a good place for me to do some mindfulness, and I bought these like exquisite spices, right? And my husband, and I were at the grocery store with our then probably three and a half year old. And I was in my head. I was not present in the grocery store. I was running something through the processor over and over, probably having conversations in my head with people, thinking about what should have been done. I was not present. And my husband goes and picks up some longhorn steak seasoning. And I. It sounds so silly saying it out loud, but him picking up that seasoning, I was like, are you effing kidding me? I have gorgeous spices at home and you're gonna get longhorn seasoning? Like just kill yourself, like what are you doing? And in the middle of the aisle, I did a double flick off to him in front of my kid. My voice is elevated talking about how dare you get longhorn seasoning when i've got a million spices at home that are beautiful i turn to walk away there's like six people in the aisle who are just but you know at that point when you're that far into your your trigger into your anger you're kind of blacked out you know and if you decide to come back you then have to face the shame of that moment so i i i back then, this was, you know, a bit ago, I would just stay, it's easier for me to stay in the blackout, to keep yelling, to pound my fist on a wall. You know, it's easier for me to keep that energy going because if I stop and take a moment, then I was going to have to face this heaping pile of, you just double flicked your kind, loving husband off in the middle of the grocery store in front of your toddler you comma you lunatic, you know? Mm. And so now I realize, now through a lot of work, I realize like I can start over anytime. Like I can decide to come back to my body and I can start over anytime. And so now I know, I don't bring my child or my husband to the grocery store. <laughs> 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 I
1: <laughs> well, no wonder you want to be by yourself. You act like a raging <laughs> lunatic every time you go out in public. <laughs> Jesus.
0: <laughs> exactly. I've like thrown a box of like kale at him. You know, It's so inappropriate. But now I can, oh, I know man, myself I would really like to see that particular
1: scene. I bet the people in the aisles were kind of digging it really. You know,
0: it's agreed. They went home that night and they were like, you know, there's you know what I saw? The than store? Me. I saw this. I'm moment. okay
1: because she's even worse.
0: She chucked kale at her husband because he bought ice cream. <laughs> she's a lunatic. <laughs> and the funny part was, is I was just seeking to control him, but I couldn't control myself. <laughs> like it's the ultimate, most awful moment when you realize,
1: like, oh, I have
0: such great control over everyone, quote unquote but not one drop for me, you know?
1: Yeah. So my
0: curriculum for my life is in that space.
1: So anger is a part of you.
0: Oh, yes. It's part of my creativity too.
1: So that's very interesting you say that. And shame. Yes. Is a part of you and anxiety. So have you ever considered what it might look like to honor those parts of you
0: yes i i honor those parts of me because the storm happened there's impact from the storm but that impact wasn't all bad you know sometimes things have to be stirred up a bit you know i'm i'm thankful to the anxiety inside of me that that drives me to go to my writing. That, that allows me to show up for my creativity, that reminds me if it gets too high that I'm not making something. And when I'm not creating and making something, whether it be writing or my artwork, that energy is gonna bubble up even more and more and more. You know? Yeah. Have you ever,
1: you use the word mindfulness, mm-hmm. and that you're cooking is a place where you can go that it seems like it has elements other than when you're throwing things at your husband. There are elements that are that are calming or elements that are mindful. What, what's your definition of mindful?
0: Mindful for me literally has been my savior. Like I credit so much of that. I have turned off the notifications. My phone doesn't make a noise. I choose when I go to my phone. I've missed some calls. What does
1: mindfulness mean? Being to you?
0: present with what's happening in real time, experiencing flow sometimes. Right.
1: So, how would you bring mindfulness to your anger and to your anxiety?
0: Well, I use it as a grounding tool, you know, where I can, the observer part of me mm-hmm. says, hey, you're starting to think a lot. Your, your brain's starting to eat itself a little. Hey, you're, uh, you're mad. You wanna say something. You're about there. Breathe, look at something else, get up and walk away. To walk away from that, you have to be mindful. If you're anything else, if I'm anything else, I'll stay in that moment. Yeah. Very aware awareness. Chopping vegetables. Watching every line go down. Something that I do, mindfulness, something that I do that Stops all the other, all the spongy stuff. There's so many things going on. It stops it for a bit, which is a nice feeling.
1: Very much so. Yeah. So there's clearly within that a redirection of focus. And there's an attention to detail onto something other than what's feeling so disruptive inside of you this is part of how you manage it, is what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, and honestly, anger made me feel powerful and like I had control, hmm. you know? If, if something in my home life or at my work life was bothersome to me or that I couldn't control it or maybe I was fearful of it, I would just be angry at it instead I would just like use my red laser point and really be angry at it. And what's beautiful now is I, I can see immediately when I start doing that now. I used to be so far into, like months into my anger before I'd be like, oh, I'm kind of angry at this.
1: Months into your anger? Sure.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm saying like there were times in my life where I would get so angry. So, first of at all, I'm not judging that. I know.
1: But it's that's a long time to be into your anger.
0: Oh. What is it? I mean, tough girl, rebellious teenager, anger, you know. I don't know so that a lot of people that, would guess that I was angry,
1: but. So, what are you so angry about?
0: Oh, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't angry at that so, thing. So anger
1: is often a secondary emotion. Yeah meaning there's something below the anger
0: fear shame
1: yeah and, yeah. The, and the anger covers that over
0: yeah. yeah
1: yeah fear and shame are more primal for sure oh
0: yeah yeah i've done like the iceberg thing where the tip of the iceberg is the anger and my iceberg below the water is is fear pain what,
1: what are you afraid of
0: I, I think it just roots back to my original, kind of some of my very rooted issues of, well, I'm not going to be in control of this. I don't know how this exactly plays out. I don't know every step that's going to happen. and and that is not does not serve me to to get caught up in.
1: It's hard for all of us because, we all live in this illusion of control. I'm gonna tell you a funny story about that from my own life. So, we were hosting a pool tournament in Las Vegas. It was called the Players' Tournament and my good friend George Clark and I were hosting this tournament. Vegas has been somewhat of a kryptonite for me because I, would just drink ridiculous amounts of booze in Vegas, um, enough to kill most people. I mean, serious drinking. And, and it was maybe only eclipsed by serious gambling. So so this is a recipe for problematic behavior. <laughs> no. So we, so we make the fatal mistake of getting to our meetings a day early, and we're at Caesars Palace, and this was short-lived, 2005, so they just changed the minimum tables from $5 to $25. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go off, you can go off like a lot faster on a $25 table. It's remarkable how fast green and blacks can go, which are the denominations of chips. The greens are 25s and the blacks are 100s. You get a rack of those. We call it a rack of high society. <laughs> so I start with a rack of high society, and I sit down at this blackjack table. And it doesn't take much to learn how to play standard blackjack, when to stay, when to hold, when to hit, when to press. You can learn this stuff in a couple hours. So I was playing pretty standard blackjack. If I'm not mistaken, the whole house advantage in playing blackjack is the fact that the dealer gets to go last. And that advantage makes up roughly a 4% advantage. So in any hand of blackjack, you have about a 46% chance of winning in Vegas. Mm -hmm. This is what I've been told by many of the degenerate gamblers that I've spent copious amounts of time with from my earliest youth, including getting kicked out of school for gambling in sixth grade. Very good. So deep experiential learning. So I start realizing that I'm losing hand after hand. Mm -hmm. And my buddy George is sitting next to me. I'm losing multiple hands in a row. And any of you listening to this may think that this is not true, but this is what happened. George would verify this. So we started counting around 25 hands in a row. So I've already lost all of my cash and I've already taken out a line of credit and I'm quickly blowing through that. So now fast forward to 35 hands in a row and I'm drinking copious amounts of glasses of booze. We are not ordering doubles. We are ordering glasses of booze. And I'm becoming progressively pissed. And I'm starting to see red. And the focus of my anger is the dealer who I can tell is somewhat enjoying me losing control. And it's escalating to the point I'm considering we're gonna go ahead and have a security moment pretty sure, pretty soon. And I'm gonna go ahead and go to jail. And I've been to jail and I'm just gonna go again. So we are at this level. I'm putting it probably at a 0.3 blood alcohol level, probably 0.9 rage. I'm ready to attack the dealer. I'm contemplating it actively. We get to now, there's nobody around except the pit bosses who are eyeing me heavy, but I'm spending a lot of money. So I've now exhausted every single line of credit. I have no more markers. I do not have a dollar on any credit card available to me. I've maxed out my ATM and I've maxed out all of my credit lines that I had at Caesars Palace, which had been developed over a 20-year period. I am absolutely busted. Not a good... Fast forward to hand 46. 46 losers in a row. The dealer is in this relationship with me. Okay. We are in this thing. He springs up out of control himself, out of his chair, comes across, all right? And this is what he says Everything in the universe is exactly as it should be at this present moment in time.
0: That's what he said to you literally?
1: That's what he literally said to me. And it sank in my heart upon one hearing. Everything in the universe is exactly as it should be at this moment in time. Now, I have to leave the casino floor because I'm asked to by big guys. Mm-hmm. And so I go to my hotel room because we're there until, I think we're there till Monday. This is three hours in. I've been in Vegas three hours now. The whole three hours pressing my bets, going broke, going broke. I can't do anything. I can't order food. I don't have anything. I'm busted. So I get to sit in my hotel room I can't even unlock like the pay-per-view.
0: <laughs> there are no distractions.
1: <laughs> there are no distractions. No. I'm in long baths. I'm going from the bath to the bed to the bath to the bed, staring at myself in the mirror, saying very loathsome things about myself, you know, really things that even with parental advisories, which I'm sure most of my podcasts will have, they did not cover the things that were being said at that moment in time. And then about day two of that, which seemed like day 200 of that, I started the deep contemplation of, is it true? Is everything in the universe exactly as it should be at this present moment in time? And I had this idea of the Earth spinning at 600 miles an hour, roughly, which it is. I had this idea that the sun was the exact distance from the planet to neither fry us or freeze us. I had this idea of heart rate, body temperature, and this realization that all of my sense of control was completely illusory, and that this thing we call a planet is an orb somehow suspended and spinning in outer space with apparently nothing except some unseen force holding it all together as the reality of my situation and your situation and all of our situations. This is the reality of it. And so I had learned a technique called behave as if. Mm -hmm. And behave as if is I'm just gonna start acting like it's true that everything in the universe is exactly as it should be at this present moment in time i'm going to behave as if that's true and that set out a now 13 year exploration into that idea of perceived control and personas and character and all of the stuff that we cling to so dearly to protect our egos and our fragility and not being really having some body who knows all coming down and saying, you really are flawed, you really are worthless, you really are incompetent, you really, everything you've ever imagined is true and it's even uglier than you ever imagined.
0: It's, it's so, f- it's freeing to just choose to believe that. It is so freeing to, to believe that everything is as it is right now, the way the universe intended it, at this present moment. That is a, when I'm in that space, which I can live in more freely now, that's when I feel most me, and most most connected and most, and it just like happens not as frequently as I'd like sometimes.
1: So let's talk about what's happening as we progress through this session. So you've been experimenting with vulnerability. Yeah. And you've allowed yourself to go into some of it, to feel some pain, to feel some anxiety, to feel touching on shame. And then you were able to sort of pull back and hold on to some control and then come back to it. And I think that's a really healthy way to approach it, Meredith, because we don't have to just be 100% vulnerable and 100% embrace our shame or our anger, all of that at once. But in a safe environment with people who care deeply about you, we can move into it a little bit get out of the comfort zone, which you're doing by coming in and doing this and letting us share this with the world, you're doing that. And then you can back out to a safer place. And then as you do that, that comfort zone and that willingness to be vulnerable starts to expand. And so does your capacity and your tolerance to handle anxiety or handle these very difficult emotions and bring some level of mindfulness to it. But that sort of approach take a little risk, step back. That's exactly what happens in a healthy childhood. You'll see the toddler, two years old, they won't go very far from the mother or the father. And then if there's safety and they see, oh, mom's there, dad's there, it's okay. They'll start to venture further. And then they'll start to venture further. And so their comfort zone starts to expand. So I very much recommend that same kind of natural developmental approach to working with these very difficult emotions. It's sort of touch into them, go go out there somewhat, but then come back to some safety. And as you do that sort of expand and retract, it starts to get further and further and further to the point where when you're in shame, you can be in shame and it doesn't necessarily have to go to anger
0: yes it I I feel more roomier now when my anxiety is really high regularly I feel it feels like I don't have much feels very pointy and like there's not much space it's
1: tight and constricted real
0: tight and now I feel I just feel like there's a little more room for that now yeah And really, for me, a lot more room than there used to be.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. So you're very much progressing on this path.
0: Give me time. You have time. (laughs) I'll get there.
1: I believe you. So what are you experiencing right now in your body?
0: Now I feel like we should start the podcast episode.
1: (laughs) I think this is probably a really good time (laughs) to finish this session. That's right. Thank Thank you, Thank you so
0: much. I appreciate it.
1: At Behavioral Essentials, we intend to help a lot of people. And today, we hope we helped you. So join us for our next session. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And visit our website at BehavioralEssentials.com. Thanks for listening.